I started recording because I was hoping someone would say something funny. Okay. You guys are not being very We're funny. We're not funny. <laughs> oh my God, we just wow. got in trouble for not being funny. I feel like that's going to be the cold open. <laughs> guys, be funnier. You're listening to Live from the News Dungeon, a nondoc.com podcast. Welcome to Live from the News Dungeon, a podcast by Nondoc.com. I'm Trace Savage, Editor-in-Chief of Nondoc.com. I'm here with Angela Jones. Hi. Take three is going well. And Andrea Denhood. I am ready to go. Third time's the charm. My name, Trace. That means three, third, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this is episode five. We're going to talk about education. And to do that, we have a special internal guest this time, maybe a co-host, uh, Megan Prather. Happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. We're happy to have you. You've been with us for a little while now, right? Uh, since September. September. Yeah, this is your first pod appearance on episode five. Um, I know since we pay you, uh, you <laughs> subscribe to our podcast already, live from the News Dungeon. Because on, you were told to. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. It uh, might have been contingent upon, uh, you know. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We're going to get on that Pandora at some point, maybe. So rate us, review us, subscribe to us, maybe subscribe a little bit. That yeah. was a that was in the take two that we didn't air. We uh, came up with a lot of new words. That you take. missed a lot, guys. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're here to talk about spelling Gold. Gold. Uh, and other the three R's: arithmetic, reading, and really not caring about school. Those are the that the I, that's what I remember from high school. Um, fun fact: I flunked or I, I failed in the fifth grade spelling bee. I spelled the word level wrong. Oh, no. Did you do an L-E at the end? I did an L-E because uh, the English language is ridiculous and uh, nothing makes sense. And my father's example of that always is the actor Sean Bean. Mm -hmm. It's S-E-A-N-B-E-A-N. So it should either be Sean Bon or Scene Bean, but it shouldn't (laughs) be Sean Bean. I love your dad. uh, Yeah, he should be. I got out on Cupboard. Cupboard mm-hmm. with you lost the P or I think so too much P. So, yeah, that's Th- usually my problem. I was going to say that. OK, <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk about education and uh, really use this as a way for the public to get to know Megan Prather a lot uh, better. She joined us in September, as we said. Tell us about yourself, Megan, as we start this off and we'll get into the, the broader topics of the day. Awesome. Um, well, yeah, you mostly said everything about me, which is I cover <laughs> education for non-doc media, um, focusing on COVID's effect on education mostly. Um, before this, I mean, I worked at the Oklahoma Gazette, King for Takeoff, Duncan Banner, and now I'm here. And How many I'm, pets do you have? Oh, awesome. I have three pets. I have a dog named Louie, and he is the smartest dog in the entire world. Ooh. He's smarter than me. Um, I have... A, Should we hire Louie? I was... You're reading my <laughs> mind. And you're not <laughs> Louie. <Yeah>. <laughs> <Louis laughs> <is laughs> I knew this would happen. <laughs> but uh, I have a cat named Scout, and she's wonderful. Um, she's my best friend. Uh... That's adorable. Yes. She does a lot of work with me. So, and then. Your brother? Is your brother the third pet? Oh, my third pet is Lucy and she's a little pit bull and she's, she loves comfort. She loves to be wrapped up in blankets all the time. Me too. Yeah. See, you guys have something in common. That's a lot of pets. Yeah. Yes. That's a lot of responsibility. I have found them all in very interesting ways. So I don't go looking for them. They just but, come to you. And you got a, you. for Christmas, you got a cat backpack. Is that yes, correct? Yes. My dad, uh knows how much I like to travel with Scout. And uh, when I was at the Banner, I'd bring her with me every time I went to Duncan. So she would just ride shotgun. She likes the car. She loves What the a car. good kitty. She sits oh on my, my lap. The whole booth people love her. But um, so it's safer. I can put her in the bag and carry her with me. Every Is this day. one of those ones with the little like bubble? No, um, it's okay. like a side, like, like a side bag. Very yeah, nice. Her head sticks out of the hole. And <laughs> like you're Indiana it. Jones and that's your sidekick in that little satchel right there? Exactly. I love exactly that. Exactly like that. That's great. Well, I know we uh, lured you into this podcast, listener, uh, based on the promise of discussing education. <laughs> and not kitty cats. And not change your plans. I'm going to make a motion that we talk about cats for the rest of the episode. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, I need a second. Okay. I want right to ask Megan, like, how is the education beat going? How do you feel about it? Um, It's a lot, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just... <laughs> um, 
with COVID involved too, I think there's a kind of a lot to keep track of. Um, there's epic charter school stuff that's happening. Um, then you have all the COVID-19 impacts and everything like that. So, um, I don't know. I think there's just a lot of different areas and, um, yeah. Is it what you anticipated or has it been a learning curve? Or? Um, there has been a lot of learning moments and learning curves and you guys have been so helpful. <laughs> so that's wonderful. But, um, yeah, I mean, Oklahoma has so many school districts and I mean, it's just learning the funding for us, it, just, there's a lot to learn. So it is reaching my expectations of, you know, covering COVID issues, but how much I had to actually teach myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well, they say, uh, learning is a lifelong endeavor. Here at Nondoc, we always try to make sure listeners learn something as they listen to our podcast. And to that end, we always have a historical nugget regarding the topic of conversation. Today, we're talking about education, and we asked Megan to bring us a historical nugget. Uh, and I may have a little Homework fact as guests. well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the point. So, Megan, uh, illuminate us. Okay, so this comes from um, the Metro Library. Um, they have some interesting information about the earliest schools in Oklahoma City. So, um, one of the very first schools in the city uh, was actually between um, uh, Broadway and Robinson on Park Avenue, uh, what is now Park Avenue, uh, and it was actually a private subscription school. So, students would pay $1.50 a month, um, <gasps> you know, to learn in a a tent-like structure. Wow. And, um, I wow. Just that was when was this? Interesting. It was in 1889. Wow. So a private subscription, that's just a private school, right? Private school. Yeah. Subscription school sounds a little... Yeah. There, so there, school, there was yeah. no state, there was no state-provided education, right? Uh, yeah, I guess that. And, but yeah, 70 children wow. were in her class. Okay, so taking us back to the territorial period uh, in Oklahoma as well, I'm quoting from a commentary my father wrote in April of 2017. That headline was, Education Has Never Been a Priority in Oklahoma. Now, at the time, the context is that he was uh, writing about the debate over how uh, to fund teacher pay and all those sorts of things. If you don't know, my dad uh, taught Oklahoma history and other Western American history, things like that, at the University of Oklahoma for 35, 38 years, something like that. Uh, and so he's written a lot of books and, and so don't take this out of context. He's not just talking randomly, but, uh, he wrote that during the territorial period in Oklahoma, a school year consisted of 60 days. The rest of the time, children were expected to be at home, helping their families make a living 60 days when weather conditions restricted work outside were all the formal education put upon young Oklahomans. Snow days were school days. If children stuck with the agenda, they could receive a sixth grade education after only 360 days of school. The basics, the three R's, were sufficient. And a bright graduate of the sixth grade might become next year's teacher at the same school he or she had attended, earning an annual salary of around $75. O-M-G. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So times are a little different. Uh, we have a more robust education system now, uh, but the topic of how we can improve our education system. Uh, I guess if we always expect children to be improving, we should always expect our schools and the adults involved in crafting the schools for our children uh, to be doing the same. And there's a lot on the plate uh, this year in, in the Oklahoma legislature, which started uh, on February 1st, Monday, February 1st. We're actually recording this Friday afternoon, February 5th. So uh, because we're live on the news dungeon, air you can quotes. also see my air quotes. Um, and so, yeah, want to kind of talk about some of the hot education topics uh, this year. And I want to start with a discussion of the distance learning versus in-person learning. And um, it, it has a lot of different forms. It's going to this conversation could go a lot of different directions. But I want to open it up to, to anybody who has strong feelings uh, about <laughs> uh, whether, you know, children should should have an option for in-person schooling. The background being that the governor of Oklahoma, Kevin Stitt, he and some of his allies are really pushing hard for every school district in the state. There's more than 500 of them to uh, have some sort of in-person option. Uh, the state's largest districts, Oklahoma City and Tulsa, had largely not done in-person schooling. That has changed recently. 
Um, but uh, we have a parent of an Oklahoma City Public School student with us, Angela. Yes. Uh, Hi. What are your thoughts? <laughs> yes, as the non-doc homeroom mom, the only non-docian with children, or I have a child. So I do have strong feelings about this. Um, and I love the daycare that my son goes to. And I also love the school that he goes to. And I think everybody is trying their hardest, but it has been really difficult. So he currently goes to Trinity Daycare and they set up... Um, they set it up so the teachers uh, could monitor the kids while they're on the tablets. OKCPS gave tablets to all of the children to do virtual learning uh, this uh, this year, this school year. And Trinity Daycare set it up so that they could have teachers there monitoring them and helping them. And they do the best they can. They absolutely do. Um, unfortunately, the tablets don't always work. Uh, the teachers aren't tech savvy. They're also not teachers. Um, a lot of the kids, all of the kids are in different school districts, um, different grades, different curriculums. So it's really been, you know, everyone's trying to do their best, but it hasn't gone swimmingly, I would say. Um, my son in particular is in first grade. He's six years old. And I just had a parent teacher conference yesterday with his teacher. Um, his, his, his OKCPS his teacher. His OKCPS teacher, Miss Regalado at Wilson Elementary. And if that's your school and your kid is going into first grade, that's the teacher she, you, that you want. She is amazing. She has an awesome attitude and a great perspective and outlook. Um, but uh, she told me that his his attitude, the, the, the student that she thought she was going to see in the classroom is not, you know, he's not the same person. So they did start going back um, two days a week. Uh, so he goes Tuesdays and Thursdays now. And she says in class, he pays attention. He participates. He's into it. He has answers to questions. But the rest of the school year um, on the tablet, he's been grouchy, not paying attention spending half the time crying, uh, laying on the floor. He's got girls standing around him, answering all the questions for him on his homework. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he's doing something right. But um, have you seen a picture of him? He's adorable. He's pretty cute. Yeah. If I do you're, say so myself. You're in trouble in 10 years. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so anyway, uh, what I'm leading up to, to saying is, is that um, we had kind of an emergency parent teacher conference because he tested below the four. 40th percentile. Now he's never been a great test taker and he is kind of in this like sort of defiant stage where he says no when he means yes and yes when he means no and he is just six. Um, but he is pretty intelligent. I mean, he's at least average if if not more. He's no genius. I'm not saying that, but um, because <laughs> he's beautiful. Though. He's, he's beautiful and dumb. No. He doesn't need to be smart. He doesn't, he doesn't need to be smart. Um, Work, works for me. <laughs> he, uh, it, it it just it was concerning to me. And so, of course, I wanted to speak with her immediately. And she was really great about assuaging my fears and letting me know that um, they've basically been out of school since last year. And it's just not a good way for six year olds to learn on a tablet. They just try to get those worksheets done as quickly as possible or with several girls helping them, however the case may, may be. Um, but when she tested him again face to face, uh, he got everything right. So he does know his stuff. He's just not able to answer it on a computer or translate that into like virtual language. So, um, yeah, it's concerning. I mean, I've got to step up my game at home, which is about an hour and a half every evening before it's his bedtime. And when we just don't have a lot of time to do that as a, also a single parent, you know, this it's, it's difficult and you do count on school to not only, you know, teach them the things they're supposed to learn in school, but they, when they're in the classroom, they learn to raise their hand. They learn to pay attention. They learn to walk in the line without talking and touching the walls. There's just a lot of like really fundamental stuff that they learn while they're in school that he's not getting. Um, and I, you know, I try as hard as I can. Yes, I could do way better. I think there's parents that do more than I do. And there's parents that do less than I do. I mean, you know, I'm somewhere in the middle, but, um, it does just, it, it, it does concern me. And I am glad that they're back in school at least two days a week and, and hope to see more of that happening. So I have not been following this super closely, not having a child and not really doing much education reporting. And maybe Megan, you know, the answer to this, my understanding is that basically the opposition to going back is from teachers unions. Is that right? Are there other sources of it? Are teachers pretty united on that? Like um, what's the, the opposition to going back? So, um, and Oklahoma City Public Schools specifically, when teachers were polled, um, it was pretty even split with mm -hmm. 
half wanting to go back. I mean, not exactly, but half wanting to go back and half wanting to um, continue doing distance learning. Um, so the concern is from teachers, teachers unions. I mean, and then there are also parents. There are also, there's a larger percentage. It was like 70%, I think, of parents, something like that, wanted to be back in the classroom and then the rest um, wanted to stay distant. So you have members from both sides. Um, and I think that... It, it's such a gray area. I mean, there really isn't a right answer. And I think that learning, just because kids aren't in the classroom, it doesn't mean they're not learning. Learning is happening and teachers are working. And I mean, but at the same time, I mean, when I spoke with single parents for um, an article a few months ago, I mean, it really opened my eyes to how, I mean, before I thought it was easy. Just, I mean, keep kids out of school, stop the spread, but it is not that simple. There are mm -hmm. parents who, I mean, they're working all day and they're coming home and staying up till midnight doing homework with their kid and it's hard and it's yeah. stressful. So, I mean, it's, it's a difficult situation all yeah. year. Yeah. I don't think there's any real you know, magic bullets for it. Um, I, I think that, and it's important to keep in mind too, that in Oklahoma, um, you know, the, the state department of education in 2020, uh, either mid March, late March, early April, I can't remember. They mandated that everybody go to distance learning. And at the time, everybody was sort of just winging it. Right. I mean, there were literally, schools where they knew a lot of their kids didn't have good internet access. So they just printed out 50 worksheets and sent them home with a kid and said, good luck, you know, and pretty much everybody got, I don't want to say everybody got good grades, but there was a lot of leeway encouraged from different school districts and things like that about, you know, uh, Hey, let's not, you, you know, obviously people didn't do finals the same way they did and everything back then. So, but now coming into this school year, which started in late August, essentially, um, there has been a debate that the state board has not mandated districts be open in person. It hasn't mandated that they be closed in person. They've left it um, up to local districts within the boundaries of some sort of really awkwardly and poorly designed uh, color-coded maps by county, <laughs> you know, uh, which is also fascinating because if you pull up like a list of you, there's a great map that some graduate student at the University of Oklahoma, I think, built that has the overlay of school districts and, the, you know, there's districts that are across three counties, you know. And so if you're looking and then and then the, the map that the state board had, I think, originally had two levels of orange. You know, which was so like you're looking at it, and you're like, well, we're orange, but are we uh, burnt orange or we sienna? Well, I don't even think they had different color. I don't even remember. It was orange one, orange two. It was orange one and orange two. Oh, that's just poor design. That's, yeah, so it yeah. was it was which was weird because the state department of health was not which it was based off of was not using two levels of orange. So anyway, so local districts, local boards, which are elected by the public, although especially in smaller districts, I mean, they can be elected by like 85 people, you know, so it's you have you have these small districts often making decisions. And of course, the smaller the community is, the smaller the district is, the easier it is to be open, you know, that you can have social distancing. I mean, there's a lot of schools, you know, around the state that are um, have more building than kids uh, because of the way that certain funding elements in the state work and and you know, the rural versus urban populations, uh, it's harder for a larger school district to do in-person learning. And so we've seen, you know, Tulsa Public Schools has really drawn the ire of the governor uh, and and Superintendent Gist has uh, has been, um, you know, kind of firing back a little bit and saying that their board is making the, the right decision for their uh, community. At the same time, you know, you had districts that are neighboring that district who were open uh, and then uh, so the, Tulsa was closed. Right. And the neighboring were open. Yes. And okay. now actually Tulsa is open back up and a couple of the neighboring ones have closed back down. Oh, no. and so it's kind of a give and take. Right. It's 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 hard to but isn't keep track this, like, of it all. Kind of an extension of just the way school districts work anyway, where you're like, oh, I live on this side of this street. So I have to go to this school that's crummy rather than the other one that's you know less crummy. And that, I think, <laughs> is a great introduction. Um, we're going to talk about uh, two things. One, uh, we're going to talk about how some parents in this pandemic have said, well, we didn't want to do distance learning, uh, but now that we've got to do it, we're not going to stay with our local district that is just now figuring out how to do this. We're going to go to the virtual charter school, Epic Charter Schools or, or another uh, virtual learning academy, whatever it might be, that has been doing this for a decade. 
And there's been a big shift there. We're going to talk about that. But Andrea, to your point, yeah, it that is the way that the state has always uh, kind of been is you, you know, some districts let you transfer to other districts. You might live, you know, here in, in Oklahoma City. There's, you know, an astonishing number of districts within Oklahoma County. Right. Um, and so, you know, sometimes people will try to get to Western Heights or they'll move Putnam City uh, School District or there's some overlap or borders and things like that. And so I'm going to lead into a clip uh, from maybe a new segment that we might use during the legislative session called From the Rotunda. I thought that rhymed in my head. I don't know. Uh, I had this the opportunity to bringing a new segment. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and he's poetic. I feel like there's some internal rhyme there. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it, it stems back to when I was a child around your son's age. And I drew what was looks sort of like a banana mixed with a school bus with eyeballs. Uh-huh. And I called him Rumble Be Tumble the Rolling Banana, which I think was a pretty good. Wow. I want to turn that into a children's book. But nonetheless, <laughs> I did not talk about Rumble Be Tumble I the Rolling the Banana. <laughs> I know, I know. The, the point is that I'm about to introduce a clip um, with a discussion between myself and House Common Education Committee Chairwoman Rhonda Baker, a uh, Republican from UConn as we talk about uh, some of these issues that we're, we're talking about today. Um, give me a, a blessing. I recorded it on my phone. And if you've been around the state capitol recently, you know they've been doing some renovations. So there's some random banging in the background. <laughs> and it's not just like an angry constituent knocking in her door. <laughs> wanted to ask you, other than the overall state budget, what is the biggest education issue you see on the horizon this 2021 session? Okay, great question. Of course, as you mentioned, budget is always the big one that we try to tackle. Um, But this year, uh, we will be hearing a lot about open transfer. And, um, you know, the genesis of this, it came about with COVID, a lot of parents became uh, engaged is probably the best word to say, became engaged at a very high level of what was taking place in school, uh, what choices were being offered to their uh, child in regards to uh, whether they were going to get virtual learning, were they going to get in-person learning, maybe even a hybrid. Um, And the conversations became pretty intense in a lot of districts uh, amongst school boards and parents and superintendents and parents and so forth. And ultimately, um, the voices that used to be um, centered around how can we improve education as far as teachers and recruiting the best teachers those conversations and voices change too. We have to start looking at our students, our student population, the outcomes that they are getting, the education they are receiving. And um, open transfer is something in a lot of our rural communities, um, those school districts have an open transfer policy. You get into our urban and suburban areas and they might have open transfer, but um, oftentimes the uh, sending district can deny transfers. I'm not sure how often it happens. I don't have data on that, but um, it, it became an issue where parents were wanting to be able to go to a district that would have the choice that would best fit the needs of their child, whether it be in person, um, a hybrid, as I mentioned, or such. Um, In the past, we have tried to tackle some school choice issues, and it's always centered around private schools. And this truly is um, centered around public schools and how can we uh, make sure that students have access to our very best public schools and the choices that fit those families. So we're talking about, uh, let's say I have a child, I live in Oklahoma City Public Schools, but uh, near the border and it's not that far out of the way, I'd like to go to Edmond. I'd like to send my child to Edmond Public Schools. We're talking about whether there's a uh, prohibition or an option for OKCPS to stop that transfer there because technically we reside in the district boundaries here. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Um, 
Are, is there specific legislation that you're looking at at this point? or So um, Senator Adam Pugh is carrying that bill. Um, on the House side, uh, Representative John Eccles has um, a bill that's very similar. Um, it is uh, definitely uh, more geared toward um, uh, school choice in the fact that uh, funding may follow the child. Um, and there's going to be a little bit more specifics in that that aren't necessarily public school friendly, like uh, Senator Adam Pugh's is. Um, but those are two vehicles that we're, we're looking at now. Well, we had Representative Eccles on our last podcast episode for like an hour of his time, which is super valuable. Um, let's talk a little bit about yesterday. Uh, we're talking in your office today, Tuesday, February 2nd. Uh, yesterday, you were on the House floor. You listened to Governor Kevin Stitt's State of the State Address. He talked about education, uh, and he spoke a little bit about what is called the three-year high uh, in relation to the education funding formula. Tell us a little bit about that formula and what specifically uh, the three-year high refers to and and what your reaction was to the comments from the governor. Okay. So um, the three-year high, school districts are able to get paid on their highest enrollment uh, numbers over three years. The reason that is in place is because school districts need to be able to budget their monies to determine, uh, you know, how many teachers they're going to need to hire, how many support per personnel, and so forth. Well, ever since I've been in this building with EPIC, the biggest complaint that I have heard from public schools in general is that um, children are transferring to virtual schools and they may stay through October 1st um, and that's when counts are made and then they end up transferring back to their public school. Well, the money has already been granted to the virtual school. So they come back and public schools don't, that funding doesn't follow them back. And so that's been a problem. So uh, public schools have complained about the mid-year adjustments, um, taking losses and so forth. Well, we've listened to that and the funding formula is very, very complex. Um, and we want to make sure that we're, you know, following this and doing this accurately. But what we've looked at and Representative Hilbert's running this bill is instead of paying for every school district's highest enrollment of three years. Let's bring it down. Let's look at two years. So it still gives districts the opportunity to budget and plan, but we're gonna do more counts in that time so that if a child transfers to a virtual and then they transfer back, we can get those counts more accurately and then be able to have that funding be more real time is what we've the term that's been used so that those um, public school districts will actually receive funds for those children if they come back i want you to think about the scenario for a minute so epic currently is the largest school district in the state it has sixty thousand students um, that's an estimate if we're paying EPIC for their highest, which is 60,000, and then we're paying um, other districts for their highest, we are probably double counting. So as a state financially, that's really difficult for us to keep track of, you know, right. to stay on top of that funding. Um, so we want to be able to give district support so that they can plan and, and know that they've got a budget that they've got to look at for, for hiring purposes. But it's not something where we can continue to pay every district for their highest enrollment when we're as a state in some of the financial situations that we've been in the past. So we've got to make sure that we're trying to be more accurate with our data counts, too. Okay, so we might end up having multiple mid-year adjustments. Do we say that three times fast, right? Multi yeah, that's right. Um, the way that the bill is lined out, I believe there will be two counts per year instead of the one count. I know that Representative Hilbert is meeting with people 
currently. So that language has not been totally set and drafted uh, because he wants to make sure that he's getting everything accurately done. Uh, we don't want to go out and totally penalize someone without making sure we understand uh, everything. But um, yeah, we're still looking at that. And we're thinking two counts at this point will be uh, something that's fair for others to do. I mean, we don't want to make it burdensome reporting, uh, but we've got to make sure that we're, we know where the students are and that the districts are getting paid accurately based upon those counts. Okay, excellent. Sounds like the sort of thing that'll take most of the session to figure out yeah. the, the nuts and bolts <laughs> of the, the P's and Q's, if you will. Um, you were an uh, educator for several years. Give us a little bit of your background and then tell us, finally, last question, uh, is, is there any education-related bill that you are carrying this year that, that you're really excited about or any other members' bill that you want to highlight uh, for people listening today? Yes, yeah, certainly. Yes, I am a former public school teacher. I uh, taught in UConn for many years. My husband's a public school teacher. I have a daughter that um, actually is finishing up her senior year. She'll be graduating in May with a degree in, in teaching. Um, and she's actually been subbing this semester. So she's really getting her feet wet there. Wonderful. So lots of education uh, background in my family. Um, some of the bills, uh, you know, with COVID last year, you know, that shortened our session. And so some of the things that I had filed last year, I just could not get across the finish line. So I have refiled some some of those bills. Um, one of the bills uh, that I'm working on, we have there has been a problem with teacher certification and some of the things that that entails. So I've got a bill that I've worked on to try to alleviate some of the problems that teachers um, are having with that. Um, gosh, we have got a plethora of some great bills this year. We've got several bills that are going to try to tackle virtual charter school issues. Um, got bills that um, are looking at putting more professional development in, uh, whether it be suicide prevention for, for kids. Um, we've got mental health issues that we're looking at. Um, Education never is uh, slow, and we always have so many bills that we can't truly hear them all. Um, so I really try to uh, focus my attention on what is the greatest need. Um, the one thing that I, I truly have tried to do as a committee chairman before I um, was elected, it seemed like there was always such an uproar in education. Um, there were always um, outlandish bills that were being filed and every bill would be heard that was controversial, that really there was never an agreement on. And I've tried to make sure that the bills that we're hearing, if they are controversial, there have been people that have been able to come together and let their voices be heard and um, try to get some agreement on some of this. Um, so we're going to start off with bills that are usually the, the easiest that have been a request bill that a lot of people behind the scenes in education have agreed upon. And then our more controversial ones we'll hear later on down the line and give people a chance to work on those and again, try to get some agreement on them. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time, uh, Chairwoman. And we'll be back uh, to talk more education items. I'll get those uh, bill numbers from you and we'll talk about them in the rest of the podcast. OK, thank great. you. Thank you. So I hope that construction banging noise you heard in the middle of that interview wasn't too distracting. It's it's uh, wild times up at the Capitol. Um, as I said, I, I did get the uh, bill numbers that she talked about Um the open transfer bill in the Senate side that Senator Pugh is carrying is Senate Bill 783. Um, I think Eccles's bill was being filed at the end of the week, and I believe the number he gave me was House Bill 2755. The Hilbert bill regarding the three-year high and the funding formula is still a shell. I don't know which, which number that'll be brought into yet, as you heard Chairwoman Baker talking about they're trying to get the language right before they drop it, because if you drop it and the language isn't super perfect, it could maybe create a lot more opposition. At the same time, if you wait too long, people feel like you're hiding what you're trying to do. So you've got to 
Is they, it not possible to edit the language of a bill? It is possible to edit the language of the bill. They're just trying to have a lot have of those discussions. That. Well, I mean, it's there's always amendments and committee subs and things like that. Um, you can if you if you feel pretty certain about an idea, you can file that at the start of session uh, and you know work with that language that you filed. If you're dealing with a really complicated and possibly really um, controversial uh, item like this, I I think that the idea maybe sometimes is to make sure you get it as close to perfect before you unveil the whole thing. Right. Um, you know, it's not going to, they're not going to suspend rules for this. So I bet we see it within the next week or two. Mm -hmm. um, the first committee deadline, I think is after uh, three weeks. Now there's always ways to bring things through. And if the speaker wants something, he can do that. But, and then lastly, uh, Representative Baker's bill regarding, um, I think it was regarding the timing of when people uh, who are getting alternatively certified uh, take their final examinations. Um, that's House Bill 2748. So I really appreciate her time. She's she's a really nice, open-door policy uh, person. Um, and yeah, what, what were your reactions to the things she, she talked about? Wow. I mean, a lot. Like that, it, it's, yeah, it sounds like it's a mess. It sounds like it's not fair. Do we know how other states handle it? I mean, is, would looking at other states and what they do be beneficial? Probably so. That's probably uh, more for the House uh, and Senate education committees versus us. Okay, but yeah, I'll, that's a, I'll, that's a I'll good wait point. until we have them on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so my question was, the way she was talking, obviously, I don't know that much about this, but this sounded like there are tons of students transferring all the time, which I found surprising. And then I assume a lot of that transferring is because there's like a big disparity in like the quality of schools, right? Is that? Or I kind of heard it like, oh, let's do virtual learning. And then by October, you realize this is not working. And then you go back to public school. I think there's some of that for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but that, that, that's the issue regarding the, the th three-year high, where there okay. is some concern that let's say, let's say you, let's say there was no pandemic and you thought, hey, maybe I'll put my son in virtual learning uh, this semester. So we uh, decided to go with Epic. Um, and then by October 1 is when the, the head count occurs. And then by mid-October or November or even the end of the first semester, sure. you think, uh, you know what, this isn't working. I'm going to re-enroll my child back yeah, in that's, Oklahoma City Public I mean, Schools. Just being a parent, that's what I could see. That's what I feel like I see happening is you think you've got a good idea and then, oh, it's not a good idea. Now, the open transfer um, issue is a little bit different. That's between non-virtual school districts. So that's let's, let's just take Oklahoma City Public Schools and Putnam City Public Schools and I think if you looked at the, um, you know, report cards that the state has done, uh, you would see that Putnam City Public Schools is is widely viewed as a, a slightly better school district, has, um, you know, a better score, probably has a, a, you know, a little less poverty, certainly in certain elements of it at the same time. Uh, you know, there, there is a fair amount of suburban poverty. So uh, I'm trying not to, like, make broad sweeping statements about these districts, but um, the open transfer question would be whether... Um, you know, do you do you have to live in the boundaries? And Megan, you've actually been covering, previewing a lot of these uh, district chair uh, and board races. So you've been looking at those boundaries. And sometimes the boundary is like, you know, are, which side of May Avenue are you on? You know, which side of Portland Avenue are you on? Somebody who the kid who lives, you know, uh, the clo your 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 child's closest friend lives a block away, but they they're in a different school district boundary than we are. Um, and so. I do think there there's a lot of, um, you know, mobility among parents um, and certainly uh, among populations that, that live in poverty. Uh, there's there's a lot of mobile mobility. Um, and, you know, I, I encountered that a long time ago when I was coaching a, a little league baseball team. And there was a, a young man who was in a kind of a tough situation. And I'd taken him to a, a Red Hawks game at the time and. He was, you know, I'd pick him up for the games because he didn't have great transportation and all that stuff. And one day, his family, his mom and his siblings, they just, we, I went to pick him up for practice and they were gone. Oh. Hmm. And had just moved, you know, we never heard, you know, what happened. And so, you know, I think there are, 
that, that may be an extreme example, but yes, I think there is more transfer than we would think. Although I, I do think that, you know, Representative Baker said she didn't have the statistics on that. Uh, maybe it should be my job also. Uh, both of us, both she and I should probably try to get those numbers mm-hmm. from the State Department of Education. And maybe we'll do that after this. Who's got a Google? Podcast. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I guess I, I feel like I don't know things, which is just how I live my life. But Learning is a lifelong endeavor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we were able to work that back in. Um, so as of right now, what 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 are the possibilities right now with open transfer? So, you know, these bills are are being proposed, but, you know, can I send my child to a different school district right now? Megan? <laughs> you opened your mouth. You have to say something. Um, my understanding is it depends on the district itself's policy for transfer. The so district like, you're in or the one you're trying to um, go to? Both. both. Okay. So if you go down to rural Oklahoma, uh, Duncan, Oklahoma, Marlowe, Oklahoma, and South, like they have more open transfer policies. So it's easier to say, hey, I, you can take my kid from Duncan into Elgin schools and it's fine. Um, but other schools that are bigger don't always have the space. So I, it, there's complications with, I mean, who can you take, who can you not take? So Metro and more urban schools have stricter rules for transfer and some don't have very open transfer policy don't have very open transfer policies at all. So, um, yeah, I think that's accurate. And I I was going to say that, um, the, uh, bill that has, that I looked at the other day, I believe it was Senator Pugh's bill, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you heard the chairwoman say that education is a very complex issue. When you're trying to fix a complex problem, you often come up with a more complex solution and the proposal therein would require each district to set, um, to calculate, it would require the State Department of Education to make a calculation on class size cap. And then it would require each district to uh, post on its website a calculation of what its uh, capacity is. Mm -hmm. And so then based on the capacity, so I'm just guessing here, maybe there would be a part on the Putnam City website that said, we have 110 student capacity and then, you know, it just sort of ticks down in real time. Like a no vacancy sign, like lights up. So I don't know, you know, is that the sort of thing that, that uh, the school board association, that superintendents group, that the teachers associations are, does, is that a, is that an agreement that can be struck uh, by the end of the session? Uh, I I don't know. Is that something that those groups are going to say, this is something that's way too complicated. You know, there, there's always, um, you know, something may sound like a good idea until you realize all the ramifications of it. And, and uh, you know, there, there's the famous uh, fund education first deadline. Uh, they, there was a statute put into effect a, a decade or more ago, a couple decades ago, about how the legislature had to pass an education budget by April 1st. Um, and the reality was that that only ever happened once. Um, and do you actually know what year that happened? Oh, the grief, no. Only one year. You would know, Andrea. 2017. It was 2018. 2018. It was the, it was the, <laughs> so the only year that the legislature set the um, uh, education budget by that deadline was the year of the teacher's strike actually the oh, walkout well there you go um, makes sense so yeah they uh, <laughs> when, when people well, were like they, do it they, now <laughs> well, they, hit the, they hit the deadline and uh you know for the trouble they got a walkout right so um it was kind of an interesting uh dynamic wow um, the but anyway so that actually got repealed but the point was it sounded good in theory right but what it really practically meant was that for the people setting the state budget well okay we can we don't know exactly are we going to raise revenue? What are we doing over here? What are we doing on this issue of healthcare funding? What are we doing on this? So yes, we could set the education budget by April 1st, but we'd probably set it lower potentially than we would if we wait right. another month when we have everything, all the other moving pieces out. So I'm not saying that, that, that this effort uh, to on, on open transfer is going to be the same. I, I'm just saying that when I pull open a bill and there's just pages and pages of underlying new, new language, Sometimes that's pretty complicated to get over the, the finish line. Um, so this is maybe like a naive question. That's great. Girl, that's all I do. <laughs> but Bring basically, it. if there was more consistency and quality between school districts and schools, this would be less of an issue, right? Like, 
that's kind of the main problem. Like maybe yeah. normally that would be the case, but maybe not right now maybe because that doesn't of COVID. I think the and pandemic COVID also adds the element of, okay, well, you're not doing in-person school and I want right. my kid to have in-person school, so I'll send him to this, him to this district. But Yeah, and I mean... I, agree so maybe if it's naive maybe i shouldn't have this job (laughs) no 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 never say that no i mean i think well i mean here's the deal every every everybody involved everybody in that building everybody involved in any association or lobbying group everybody at this table wants high quality education opportunities for the students that, that we have in the community absolutely um how you do that what that looks like um you know we heard Representative Eccles talk about always valuing the student. Um, you know, that that's the complicated part. Uh, is we may have a pod about managed Medicaid, uh, you know, and and I can't wait till we get to that discussion because uh, when I worked in healthcare, I loved the idea of improving patient outcomes, and it was a great. We'd come up with these great plans, and you'd work on this, but then actually doing it. Yeah. Actually having that person quit smoking, actually having that person be compliant with their oh, insulin. Yeah. So how do you do that in an education world where, yes, your your enrollment's changing, your, the, the, there's you know unfunded mandates that come down from time to time. Okay, you've got local control, so now your school board's in charge of this. But then at the same, at the same time, we've got uh, federal regulations to comply with. We've got state regulations to comply with. Um, charter schools are being implemented uh, as a, as a way to sort of avoid some of these regulations. Uh, but then in the process of that, so that's good for the kids who can get in there maybe potentially for some of those schools, but then that takes resources a little bit away from the broader district. And so, you like know, it seems like there's kind of like a zero sum situation where all these different factions are like competing against each other. Right now right like that seems kind of crazy yeah that sounds about like the education <laughs> well you should just set up a big tent charge everybody a dollar fifty exactly school for 60 days, 60 days and, and then you go work on the farm okay i absolutely am against that i, know I just said all of that but i'm completely against it um yeah, back you, to the tent yeah you're like you're like i'm keeping my dollar fifty uh, <laughs> i want a free tent uh so let's talk quickly we we, we kind of touched on some of those things that the chairwoman talked about one of the things that was uh, an overarching, uh, I don't know, a shadow, a, a whatever you would call it, a, a um, help me. What's a what's a what's a synonym for ghost? Phantoms. A phantom. Spectre. Yeah, specter. There we go. That's <laughs> what I was looking for. Yes. Um, is the virtual charter school of? Uh, there's actually two of them. Epic charter schools, plural, governed by what's the name of the board? Uh, community strategies. Community strategies, and they and they contract with a private company called what? Epic Youth Services. Okay, and so <laughs> this, yeah, and this has become the largest school district, quote unquote, in yes. the state of Oklahoma. Um, it was already growing. They were doing a lot of uh, television ads, and then the pandemic hit. And as I teased earlier, uh, a lot of parents who maybe never would have thought of putting their kid in a virtual learning environment. Uh, decided, well, if I'm going to have to do it, I don't, you know, it's not, doesn't seem like it's going well in this school district that we're in that has never done this before. Why don't we try out the district that um, has been doing it for a decade? Oh, and by the way, we get like $1,500 to buy a cello or whatever, which like, what, parenthesis, actually Epic gets to keep that? Is that right? Wait, what? Okay. Been through the frequently asked questions for the learning fund. And one of the questions was, do I get to keep my stuff that I buy with learning fund money. And I was like, of course, right? But you don't. Wait, you can I explain? So I send my kid to Epic and I'm like, but cello lessons through Epic. Epic, you you have a fund to buy your kid a cello. So and, 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 and the cello lessons, yeah, yes. Epic wouldn't give the cello lessons. It would, you'd get the, buy the cello and then pay for an instructor who teaches Out of cello. your pocket or out of the out learning fund? Out, out of, of your learning fund. Learning okay. fund. And each, um, and each student gets a $1,500 learning fund? I think it's so, 1000 to 1500 yeah. based on your household. But for the, like extracurricular, right. extracurricular whatever. Extracurricular, computer, whatever thing you might need to buy for virtual learning. And this is one of the big appeals of Epic is that in addition, do we get, you know, some one-on-one time with a teacher and a learn-at-your-own-pace model and some flexibility on this, that, or the other? Uh, and maybe my kid got bullied or maybe my kid, uh, you know, just doesn't love to socialize a whole lot and just wants to get yeah. their work done. And, and maybe they're going to speed through it and go enroll in college quickly, whatever it is. Uh, one of the appeals is the, the learning fund is you also get to use that money to 
you know, pay for dance lessons or art lessons or whatever it would be, right? But um, then you pay me to teach your kid how to pitch, right? Um, I could do that. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> for a dollar for side your Yeah, get your balance point. Um, get your arm up. Okay. Uh, so the problem, the controversy involving Epic is that as it's grown and it gets reimbursed along the formulas that we talked about, the mid-year adjustment, they get more money when more students go there. Uh, they have a private company, as Megan said, Epic Youth Services, that is contracted to manage the learning fund and other things. Uh, and there is a, a loss or a, a there's a yeah a, a lawsuit because the state auditor has been auditing uh, Epic and Epic did not want to uh, turn over the records of how the money in the learning fund was managed. And yeah, tell us about my, tell why don't you, Megan, tell my other night adventure. I had, we had a fun oh time. You were goodness. you were watching the yes. board meeting for Epic via. Facebook, it was like on Phil Cross, Phil Cross's Facebook they always, page. Oh, they, so they have a Facebook weird. page and they're supposed to stream their board meetings on there, but it wasn't working. So they had to do it on newsman Phil Cross's Facebook page, okay. whoever that is. <laughs> so it's streaming. Oh, we could tell you. <laughs> it's streaming and it's fine. I'm watching it. And then they go into executive session for the first meeting because there's two meetings and just the stream goes off. And I was like, oh no. And I'm, I'm eating a, like a giant cheeseburger and drinking a beer in Midtown. And I ruined his whole and life. I, well, no, I texted you and I said, I said, hey, how's the meeting going? How's your story going? And you said, fine, but. Fine, but, which isn't, no one wants to hear, but. Um, so it went off, the stream went out. So he While well, they were in executive up, session. Yes, okay. um, but they're going to come back. And what I needed was the stuff like in the next meeting. So yeah. it was a whole thing. So gave me some numbers to call and I called them and they said, oh, well, the stream's showing up on our end. And I was like, well, it's not showing up on my end. So mm. he was kind enough to go all the way down to where they were meeting to try to catch the end of the meeting. Who was Trace with? Yes. You <laughs> dropped that burger and beer like a journalist. I believe I, I believe I destroyed the burger and chugged the beer. <laughs> he was like, okay, I want to have a bit. I'm gonna go. I was like, no, you don't have to. I don't want to ruin your night. He was like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> he yeah. looked down that little Yeah, it was a Monday. I didn't. I mean, I wasn't gonna, you know. And so I, I. It was on my way home ish and uh, <laughs> I drove over to 50 pin place, which is the sort of uh, highfalutin establishment you run a charter school out of. And uh, I was trying to get in one of the doors. It was locked. I go around to this other door in this parking garage. It's locked. Oh, I 50 call, pen place is amazing. Yeah. Know. I call one of the people and I'm saying, I'm trying to get in for the meeting. And she says, well, the meeting just ended and we're leaving. But I was like, well, what are you, what doors are you going out of? And she says, I'm going out the West doors. So I turn around and go to the West doors. And as I do that, the parking garage doors, I was trying to get in burst open. And I see behind a mask, a guy I'd never met before named Ben Harris, who's the, one of the co-founders of Epic Charter Schools and a co-owner of Epic Youth Services, right? And he does right? not like to talk to the media. Well, I don't think he doesn't like... Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, especially if you're under investigation for half a dozen years and, you you know, the state audit is... Stressful. You know, yeah. not... Yeah, you know, why would you... Exactly. Right. Why would so you? he... Um, we start talking and I, I said I want to ask some questions. And so it was one of these moments as a journalist where you're, you know, I wasn't prepared to do an interview. Uh, let me you know, think of a couple things to ask you real quick and, and let me, you know, kind of play dumb. And he's like, well, I could get you with Shelly. And, and my favorite line was when I, I said to him, well, I reckon you're the fellow who created this amazing. I reckon uh, you're the fellow. Yeah, I, re I reckon. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, this amazing enterprise or whatever. So, oh, and, or whatever. It was the or <laughs> yeah, so we kept talking, and, and I actually ran into him uh, stuff. like a week later at the state capitol. It, you know, so the interview we'll link to the interview in our in our uh, post about this deal. But overall, Megan, you know, what did you glean from that interview, and what do you think the most interesting questions are about Epic? Because from my perspective, yes, there's some questions about. Um, I suppose the legality of some of the things they've done or whether maybe the law needs to change uh, to better prevent, you know, some of this use of public money. But at the same time, it's also telling that parents keep sending more and more parents keep sending their kids to Epic Charter Schools. 
Um, Epic is an awesome idea. Honestly, it's a cool, interesting, I mean, it's a innovative way to learn. So, I mean, that's neat, but, um, I mean, other charter schools are also doing this in the state and they are not having these giant financial, um, audits and everything. Um, I think the, Oh. This is where you this is where you put the the unbiased uh, reporter on the spot and and say tell us something but don't say something that you're going to regret the yeah. next time you walk into. <laughs> Audio does not allow you yeah. to see her face, which is working so hard to find the perfect way to say what yeah. she wants to say. <laughs> How to thread this needle? Um, <clears throat> I guess my question is like. I know vaguely about some of the epic issues, but you obviously know way more. Like, what are kind of like the big questions about the future of epic? Oh, um, if it's going to continue. I mean, um, their authorization, um, the statewide virtual charter school board is the authorizer for, I believe it is um, one-on-one. I think it's epic one-on-one. It's epic one-on-one, one-on-one yeah. yes. And uh, at a meeting a few months ago, they had uh, voted to put their um, accreditation status under um a probationary period. So they will then go to a hearing, you know, to decide if they get to keep their accreditation and everything. Um, so a big question, and I think this is why parents are freaking out so much about like people trying to hold Epic accountable is, well, where's my kid going to go if Epic shuts down? Yeah. Like, I've gotten 16. that question from a couple people yeah. is, can I re-enroll my kid in Epic next year? Like, so I think that's a big concern. And I think another thing, some people like, I still get asked questions like, well, if Epic's free for parents, who's paying for it? Like some people still, I mean, it's still understanding that, I mean, it's a public school. So, so I think there's um, right. a lot of base misunderstandings about how Epic works. And I think they've made it so complicated by design almost. Like Epic I, has I, or the system. The system. It never fails, Megan. Whenever we, whenever we write the phrase that a charter school is a public school, somebody gets on the comments and tries to claim that it's not. Yeah, <laughs> and that's always so fascinating to me. It's interesting, but um, I mean, I don't know. I guess the question is if the future of Epic in general in Oklahoma, is it going to keep its accreditation? Um, are these community strategies, are they going to follow through on um, the measures they pass to change things? Are they actually going to review all the financial measures before they're passed from now on? Are Ben Harris and David Cheney going to have any kind of accountability from the board, which is kind of what these measures they're passing um, seem like they're going for? Uh, but I don't know. I guess we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot there, and we could talk about Epic and other charter schools for um, a long time. Uh, anything else we should talk about in education before we move to our next favorite segment? Okay, that sounds like a no. Uh, <laughs> we just all stared at each other. It's like the weirdest. I feel like there's a lot of things you could We're talk so about. Yeah, like, like I could so never hard. stop. But. It's so hard to narrow down. Even with Epic, you could talk about it for a three-hour podcast yeah. and not even scratch the surface. Well, so. we'll promise to have you back, Megan. Let's let's go to our favorite segment. Having relations. So this is our uh, donor relations segment. It's our pod nod to the folks that support us and we love them and care about them. But first, gosh, I'm so parched. Mmm, pina fraise. Is that how you say that? I don't know. It's, okay, it's pretty good. You're drinking a LaCroix, not a, not a uh, Will and Wiley. LaCroix or is a... not one of our sponsors, but it sounds no, like but it. where did we purchase it? We purchased this at Walmart, your friendly local Walmart. And that brings me to want to talk about the Walton Family Foundation. So they are a family-led foundation that tackles tough social and environmental problems with urgency and a long-term approach to create access to opportunity and opportunity for people and communities. And they do uh, provide a lot of grants. And last year in 2020, we were a recipient of a grant from the Walton Family Foundation. So I just wanted to take a minute to talk about them and kind of let you know what they're about. They work in three areas, improving K through 12 education, very apropos, protecting rivers and oceans and the communities they support. And they like to invest in their home region of, of the Northwest Arkansas and the Arkansas Mississippi Delta. Um, in 2019, they awarded more than $525 million in grants. And so, as I said, last year, we were one of those recipients and they kept us going and we greatly appreciate them. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to say 
that grant was what allowed us to hire an education reporter. Boom. And, this thanks, one. Walmart. Uh, we are really... Walton <laughs> Family <laughs> Foundation. We, we are, Foundation. Yeah. Uh, we're really hopeful that uh, as we look to reapply and um, kind of keep the momentum going with what Megan's been able to do, uh, we're really hopeful and thankful uh, that the Walton Family Foundation believed in non-doc enough about this. I want to say uh, a couple things. Um uh, yeah, they're heavily involved in education. They support some other education endeavors. In fact, they provided a grant to uh, State Impact here in Oklahoma, which is the NPR conglomerate, uh, to do some of the same type of reporting on how COVID was changing the education environment. Uh, they also supported the Oklahoma Media Center, which is a cool new endeavor where your content, Megan, has been shared uh, and you use some of the other content that other uh, publications uh, have put out here. So that's a cool deal. Uh, I was also on a call with other publications around the country that they funded for the same kind of idea. Very cool. Um, and yeah, at the same time, they're also heavily involved in the topic of school choice and all of that. So uh, a lot of people might wonder, well, how do you take money from an organization that, you know, to do journalism that also has some, you know, targeted efforts in areas like charter schools and things like that? I was just wondering that. And I was, I, I just wanted to say, we have, all we've, done is fill out a spreadsheet with articles you wrote yes and we have to put like a little you know report at the end of the day we we have never been asked to write about anything or given a tip it's been incredibly hands-off and i just as a moment i just wanted to say i think that's the way that that large grants and things like that that's the way that works best because it it gives the the journalists the freedom to, uh, you know, pursue the stories as they come. Yeah. And uh, I really appreciate that about what Walton Family Foundation has done. support without infiltration. Yeah. yeah. And so I like that. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Megan, what are maybe your two favorite feature stories so far that you've, you've done? You've done some really good ones. So give us two uh, synopses real quick. Number one is kindergarten in a pandemic. That was the most fun thing to do ever. I got to drive up to um, Bristow, Oklahoma. In a snowstorm. In a, no, an ice well, storm. Yeah, the ice okay. storm came that afternoon. So I was like, oh, this is going to, uh, we'll see how it goes. So I went. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it's a Um I got to sit in on uh, Miss Lominick's class and she's teaching her kiddos. She's in her classroom, but they're behind a screen from home. And it was the cutest thing in the world. They're all singing their songs like they're little businessmen on a little business meeting. Then there's a I met with a teacher there, too, who was doing in-person class. So it was interesting to see how she's um, carrying on how they're working so hard to meet the needs of their students, even though everything is so different this year. Um, I also really, uh, a second one, it's hard to choose. I really also liked covering, um, you know, grandparents raising their grandchildren. Yeah, that was a good one. That one kind of stemmed from the push for, um, by advocacy groups, the state board to adopt a, um, you know, a mask mandate in all schools. And that didn't happen. But um, part of the advocacy there was that um, Oklahoma is in the top five states in the nation with grandparents who are raising their grandchildren as their primary caregivers. And since those are the that's the demographic of people who are being affected the most by COVID, um, you know, uh, they had a lot to say about it. Gosh, um, yeah, that's important to know. So yeah. it, interesting, very, very interesting stuff. Well, well, awesome. I've got a couple more pod nods I wanted to get out to Lynn White, Simonia Byford, Monty Smith, Joaquin Selva, Terry White, Kim Rogers, and Susan Rhymes with Chaotic Swatic. So thank you guys so much. We appreciate you. We love you. Email me back whenever I email you. I love chit-chatting with you. You guys are hilarious. So keep it coming. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. If you want to help support us as we get started in 2021, there's probably a link somewhere related to this, but nondoc.com forward slash writers with a W and an S hyphen fund. And you can contribute there uh, tax deductible depending on your personal financial situation. I think that's about it. Is yeah, that everything uh, we've got? I got one more thing. Oh, oh, one more thing before I forget. What do you got? <laughs> so I have kind of a real question. I know, we've, I know we've been doing these kind of like, would you rather joke questions? But I realized Why did you week, look at me when you said that? Because <laughs> you're sitting across from me. Okay, ask your real question. Everyone has done joke questions. I did one too. Ask your real question. Um, so I have just realized this week that I need like new snacks in my life. My go-to <sighs> snacks are tortilla chips. And then um, my mom's from India, so I go to the Indian grocery store a lot. And there's this stuff called like hot mixture that I eat a lot. And it's incredibly unhealthy, but really delicious. Okay, I want that. 
It's good. But I need like other snacks. And I just want to know, like, I need snack recommendations. That's mm-hmm. my question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sweet, salty. What are we looking for here? Just what are your go-tos? What are your favorites? Okay. Um, I can grab you some fiddle faddle from the cabinet over there. That's like a is that like a cracker jack popcorn-y I think situation? So. Okay. Yeah. I'm not I've actually never had it. I think we're going to have an episode where we yeah, debate we're gonna do like a whether taste test. fiddle faddle, cracker jack, or <laughs> crunch, and, crunch and, munch. and munch is the better. I think we should do a taste test like yeah. right now. I'm totally gonna, while you answer, Angela, I'm going to open this bag of cookies that <laughs> Andrea. Yeah, this doesn't baked. answer my question because I made those. I know. Well, I'm going to, but I'm going to, but I'm hungry. We've been, we've been potting for an hour. I, really I know. Need a I've snack. been dying them too. Um, I'm, so I'm just like trying to, because I'm like the queen of snacks. That's like really all I do is just snack. Um, like I think I just ate an apple for dinner yesterday. So that was a snack dinner. Um, I'm just trying to, th- so sweet, salty, you have no preference. I, I like it all. I'm more a salty person, but I'll eat sweet. I don't even know how to pronounce these. I, I encourage you to look up Contessa Lebkuchen holiday cookies. The Balsam holiday cookie, Contessa, I don't know. There's some sort oh, of I think amazing I've had those. Are they kind of ginger? Gingerbread chocolate, dark chocolate base, delicious layer of sugar glaze on top. That's you know. your go-to snack? No, but my mom my mom gave me a pack of them like a few weeks ago and I hadn't had them since I was a child. They're amazing. Mm. Um, I I think I just always gravitate towards sweet stuff and I love I'm loving lemon stuff. So Sprouts has like a whole kiosk of lemon cookies, different like mm. lemon wafers and stuff like that. Speaking of Walmart, there's um Quadrini, I think is the brand. It's just like this little folded sack of lemon wafers. Oh, those little square ones, those are good. Yes. Oh, girl. Girl. <laughs> so, but I you might check out Sprouts and like Visit the lemon kiosk. Don't tell me just go to the snack aisle. I want specific. Well, yeah, the lemon kiosk. <laughs> the lemon All right, kiosk. My real answer is pistachio nuts. Megan, what do you <gasps> oh, That's a fancy, expensive yes, super snack. Fancy. I know. Well, but you, can, you just limit yourself to four. No, that's not Four pistachios? That's not snacking. Limit yourself to pistachios. You do not understand snacking. What? I am an insane person. You're measuring out four pistachios. That's crazy. Megan, give me some sanity here. What's your snack? Ah, she's just like Baja Blast all day, every I just, day. I'm Baja Blast. Hey, Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> a Mexi melt. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I don't really take a scoop of protein powder and eat it. You know what you should do? You should go to Lee's. You should go to Lee's sandwiches and just buy all the weird snack. stuff. I'm not a big... You're not a snacker? Not a snacker. I'm really feeling at this question. I feel like I got put on the spot or something. Yeah. No, oh, man. Well, just, if you have follow-ups later... I'm, yeah, this listen. Is, hey, like guys, real listeners. Been, I want snacks. Angela is basically just a goat. She just eats. <laughs> I just do. Go. I'm like trying to like pick from the things that I eat that are like actually good that I want to say uh, like on a podcast that I eat. Like I don't want to claim the things that I eat. Um, cottage cheese, you know. Oh, that's a healthy Wait, one. Beets. It doesn't have to be healthy. I just cottage want a cheese good and beets snack. or cottage cheese and beets and avocado, salt and pepper. So if you good. put fruit mm-hmm. in it, my dad's where's that? Cottage you guys are fancy pants. Yeah, I think cottage cheese is the way to go. Okay. On that note. Please rate us, review us, <laughs> tell us how stupid we are. Please, like, comment somewhere and give us snack recommendations. Five stars only, please. Live from the News Dungeon is a non production. Edited and recorded by Bryce Holland. 